Welcome back to another episode of Not All at Once. I'm Jordan Guess. And I'm Kendall Y. Good morning, Kendall. Good morning. It is, uh, we're recording today, August 11th, a little after 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So, just so everyone has context, if there's anything news that is breaking, it seems like there's been quite a bit of stuff going on. Um, as nor as per usual, I guess. So, yeah. Um, as a heads up to the audience, we did switch podcasting services. That's why there was a some chaos in the feed a couple weeks back. And uh, the new service has this awesome feature where we can schedule the episode to drop at a certain time. So we're aiming for six a.m. Eastern Standard Time every Friday. Heck yeah. No, I love that. So you can, everyone can mark their calendars, set their notifications on their podcast app for it to hit. So, well, we got some CPI numbers this week. Uh, Mm -hmm. Monumental bill passed over the weekend, at least in the Senate. And that was like the biggest hurdle. We can kind of chat a little bit about that if we want. Uh, There's, Something that I learned about called tornado cash, and um, that we'll talk about. What else we're we gonna hit? Try to hit today. Uh, those are the main things. Yeah. Oh, and then the well, the only other thing is I went to the Bitcoin meetup in Nashville. Shout out um, last night. So that was really good. Um, you know, Jordan likes a good in-person event. So got to meet some uh, some cool guys. I got to meet a guy who works at Carrot. He's a back-end developer at Carrot. Are you familiar with that? It's like a rewards, a Bitcoin rewards company, almost like I, a credit card rewards thing. I have, I have like a vague memory of this company. I think we saw them at the Bitcoin conference. Oh. Anyways, he was there. He was there last night, but he was also down in Miami. And he was like manning their their uh, table. Oh, by the way, too, our new our new podcasting service mm-hmm. um, has a. I was poking around on it, and it uh, they they support value for value. Ooh, okay. I was like, they're like earn Bitcoin. I was like, oh wow, that is really cool. Is that the RSS.com? RSS.com, yeah. Wow. It's like brand new too. Like they were, they're promoting it. Okay. Adam, what's his name? Adam the, Curry. Adam Curry. He must have gotten to him. The pod father. Which is good. Yeah. Very cool. Does my mic sound better this week? <clears throat> yes, your mic sounds good. All right. Good. Cool. All right. Well, let's jump into it. So, um, where do you want to start? You want to start? I know we talked about it, but I already forgot. You want to start Torn- with tornado, tornado cash? Tornado cash, yeah. Okay. So if anybody doesn't know, my basic understanding of tornado cash is it is a currency mixer. So you can essentially like um, put any kind of cryptocurrency into it, and then it shoots it around a bunch of different places. And then um, I don't know if washing is the correct term, but it just essentially makes it difficult to track its original source. And I guess some people use it for legitimate reasons. Others use it. It can, it can be used, I guess, for illicit reasons. So um, the treasury kind of brought the hammer down and they're trying to essentially come after it. And yeah, there were some strong thoughts about it at the or at the meetup last night, um, essentially saying that it's ridiculous that they are trying to do this and that it can be used I mean, it was a privacy event that I was like last night was very much privacy focused, which we can get into a little bit. But um, so it makes sense because uh, it sounds like it is a tool. Um, Tornado Cash is a tool to be used to increase your privacy um, when you're interacting with different cryptocurrencies. So. But tell me more about what you what you were hearing about it, Kindle. Well, uh yeah, I think I've heard of Tornado Cash in the past. I mean, um I don't really know a whole lot about it. I understand what it is. So what it is is a um 
a mixer or like a coin join, I guess is what it is. I don't know. There's probably a distinction between what a mixer is and what a coin join is. But um, yeah, but the basic idea is like on blockchains, everybody can like send their funds to one place and then like um, it's basically like imagine 10 people all have cash, like physical cash. And they want they don't want the pieces of paper traceable back to them, and so everybody puts their cash in a pool, and then you mix it all up, and then everybody just goes in and grabs the amount that they put in. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like randomly distributed uh, funds. Yeah. Does so, it actually mix up the UTXOs when you do that? That's right. Yeah. So 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 you what a UTXO is like? It's kind of difficult to explain to non-tech people but on on in, on the bitcoin blockchain a block is created by a miner so whenever a miner mines a new block they are awarded the, the block reward that's the creation of the bitcoin and then the bitcoin that never actually like you, you don't actually move Bitcoin from person to person. You just move the the tra- the trace of the of the coins from address to address. So you can like the coins are created in the Coinbase. That's actually what it's called is the Coinbase, which is confusing. <laughs> um, yeah, separate uh, from the company. <laughs> they were from the company. Yeah, we have this at my work. We have to explain it to clients. I was like, that's not the company. That's the Coinbase. Um, so the coins are created in the Coinbase, and then the UTXOs are like the it's the updates to the ledger. You can think of it like it's a new line in the ledger of like this coin transferred from Alice to Bob, and then a, and then a new line can be like from Bob to Carol. But the coins always go back to the Coinbase. Um, so with with coin joins or with mixers, you are um taking all the UTXOs and bundling them into a single UTXO. And so then you have like, there's no way to pick apart the outputs of that, that, that UTXO where, where it's like, there's no way to trace that UTXO back to the original Coinbase um, because they've been joined with other Coinbases. Right. Mm-hmm. And are you always, are you thinking about it in terms of like Satoshi's or, or does it, is it thought about as like a UTXO is tied to a whole Bitcoin? Yeah, no, it's Satoshi's. So it's, uh, okay. it's not, it's not like a per coin basis. Gotcha. Uh, but okay. anyway, yeah, I mean, so these are, this is privacy tech, privacy technology. Uh, there's a really good, really good video of Peter Van Walkenberg. Are you familiar with who Peter Van Walkenberg is? Is is he the guy who works with? Um, I think he's like head of legal at Coin Center, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or director of research. Okay. Um, but I think his background is in legal. Like he may have a law degree or something. Okay. I don't know that for sure. He just strikes me as a a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that's right. Um, there was a Zcon. Zcon is like a Zcash. The Zcash conference. Um, and Peter Van Walkenberg spoke at ZCon two days ago, and I will share the, the video in the show notes. Um, and, uh, it's a really good video. It's about 30 minutes and he talks all about tornado cash and privacy and, and all that stuff. He, he'll do a way better job than what, what we can do. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's a weird thing where it's like, the treasury has sanctioned a specific technology. So they have sanctioned it's a smart contract, right? Yeah. Like there's no way for them to actually stop the, the protocol from operating. In fact, people are still using it today. In fact, there was like this whole chaos around people sending well-known <laughs> addresses funds from tornado cash which is viol- that's technically in violation of the sanctions right. there's all sorts of there's all like sorts Shaquille of- o'neal and puma and um jimmy fallon all yeah. received sanctioned um ethereum i don't know if it's ethereum some kind of coin 
Yeah. So yeah. Do they go to jail now? See, there's like this weird thing with the cryptocurrency space where like, see, in the real world, if you were given a check, you don't have to cash the check. So you can receive a check, but then never actually accept the incoming funds. And the same could be said even with cash. Like you could receive cash, but then you could just like not take acceptance of it, right? So people people could send you cash and then you could just throw it away. Um, but uh, but with with blockchains, you don't. There's no way to be like, um, I don't receive the the money. Like it's just like, uh, as opposed to like a check where you have to cash the check. You just have an address and people can send money to it. So technically, like these celebrities were in violation of the sanctions laws. And by the way, like the sanctions laws are extremely, extremely, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, you do not violate the sanctions laws. Like you, you will go to jail if you violate the sanctions laws. And uh, so it's just all sorts of chaos. Um, Does it have to do with... Um... Does it have to do with um, like Russian, like the sanctions that we've placed on Russia? Or is well, it completely separate, just generally sanctioned places? So the the way the sanctions work is they basically just post on the Treasury's website. They post, you cannot send money. You, can, you cannot send any sort of thing, money, monetary good to these, this entity. You can't send, mm-hmm. you also can't receive money. So it's not like they enforce it. They don't go into the banking sector and enforce it, but they say if we if we catch you transacting funds with these entities, you will be yeah, convicted of a crime and you'll probably probably go to jail. Um Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, I'm looking at the, it now. So it looks like it's the Office of Foreign Assets Control and they just have a sanctions list and if you interact with any of those that's trouble that's right most likely so what's probably going on is um see probably what's going on is there's a tremendous amount of money laundering and and funds probably north korea probably that's probably my guess of what's going on is like maybe russia maybe north korea it's somebody on the no-no list that is using this like to a large degree like mm. potentially billions of dollars right yeah and and even if that's only 20 if let's call it 20 percent of the overall activity it's in the national interest it's a national security interest to not let that happen and so they're gonna they're gonna stop it and probably what's happening is see chainalysis are you familiar with chainalysis is that different from chain analysis? So chain analysis is a company that uh, okay. specializes in blockchain analysis. Gotcha. Okay. And specifically they like probably their big, I don't know. I'm not familiar with their, 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 the insides of their company, but most likely their biggest clients are uh, the justice department. So everything's public on a blockchain and you can, you can track it. And, um, and even things that people think are not trackable. Like for example, there's some Bitcoin technology that came up that people thought was, uh, private turned out that chain analysis was able to, to track it. Um, chain analysis is really good at tracking things on the blockchain, even if you think it's private, but yeah, there are, it's not like they can see a hundred percent of the, of the truth. So my guess of what's going on is that tornado cash implemented something that was not trackable. And so it was truly, truly a hundred percent private and chain analysis is probably informed. I, I don't mean to throw chain analysis under the bus. It's probably a number of firms and people. They're just sort of like the leading company in the space. They probably were working with regulators and told regulators like, Hey, we know that um, call it North Korea is interacting with sending billions of dollars through tornado cash. We know that that's happening, but we have no way of seeing what's on the other side. 
And so it is truly a black box, at which point the, the treasury is probably like, okay, this is a national security problem. We can't, there's no way to track it. We have to sanction it. And so then here we are. Hmm. That's my guess. That's my guess of. It's very interesting. I think that they're going to continue to run into first and fourth amendment issues with these, um, with these types of things. Um, so we'll see. I mean, obviously there's, there's going to be tons and tons of lawsuits just across the board, not just this specific thing. Um, no, it's to- going to, to totally like, let me give some, some background in the 1990s, the U S government, the military tried to outlaw a particular type of encryption, right? They, they basically, I think we've talked about this before, maybe, but they, they, the, the, the Justice Department tried to make the claim that a certain type of encryption was a form of arms. So it's just like they treat guns and missiles and tanks. This encryption would fall in that same category. And it went all the way to, this, to the Supreme Court. And the story goes that the defense basically printed the code onto physical pieces of paper and a stack and they presented it to the jury and they said this is the thing that you're trying to say is, is a weapon and it's literally just text on a piece of paper so that's yeah. where that's that's where you hear this the origination of this claim which is code is speech mm-hmm. um so it's protected by the first amendment um so yeah so yeah there's certainly going to be a lot of nuance there i i think that just to just to play the the contrarian role you know everybody all the hardcore crypto people bitcoin and crypto right including bitcoin in this as well are very much of the opinion that code is speech you cannot you cannot regulate it i think that there is actually some truth to the the counter the counter side of this which is like um you know, if you are a developer and you know how to write the code and you know how to, and you actually understand, if you can write the code from the ground up, then you have a very strong claim that that is speech because you're just typing text into a, into a computer. Um, but if you don't know how to write the code and you're just like a normal user, I think you might have a, a weak claim in saying that that's speech because you didn't create the speech. It's somebody else's speech that you are using. Um, so hmm. I, th- I think that there is a, so- a sobering reality here, which is that there is going to be a credible counter argument. And I think that we're on the right side of this code is speech, but it's not going to be uh, a home run. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is just crazy how, how much control you like the government is just letting off that they want to to have, you know, they pretty much just don't want anything to be able to go unmonitored almost. So, which again, I think you can make, you can make arguments for both sides. Um, Cause there's always the privacy of the good of just law abiding citizens. There's privacy for those people. And then there's privacy for criminals, right? And it's like, obviously, as a society, we want to try to expose criminal activity out in the open. But if you're a law-abiding citizen, you should not be subject to constant monitoring, surveillance, you know, surveillance of everything that you do. Um, and then that down the road be potentially used against you, um, whether it's for political reasons or blackmail or whatever it is so i mean it's very difficult so yeah i i agree with this line of thinking but the um see like for when it comes to the judicial system you can't you can't implement regular like or enforcement action to prevent crimes you can only convict crimes after they occur right so it's not really like you can't you can't legally enforce um 
something on a preventative basis. Does that make sense? Rather, you have to wait until somebody does something illegal, at which point you can convict them of a crime. Like if I was planning on doing a crime and I had it, I had this plan even written down, of course there's like, I'm not even going to make an example because I know that there are, you can't, there, it's a gray area. But if I'm planning on doing a crime, that's not illegal. It's only illegal once I do the crime. Mm-hmm. So in the, in the context of these privacy technologies, like the, probably the most likely outcome is that these things will exist and the, the government cannot stop them. The only thing that they can do is uh, convict after, they can only convict actions, right? So mm. people who misuse the technology, then um, that's what can be convicted. But I want to make, I want to draw a distinction. See, then we you enter into a gray space of, so that's like, everything I just said makes sense for the average citizen. But what about when it comes to national security? You see, national security is a different game because secure national security is about prevention. You can't wait for Russia or China or North Korea to do something. You have to prevent it from happening altogether. Yeah. Right. So... So that's a different game. And I think that's what's going on here probably. Um, so then, then the question becomes, well, what, where do you draw the line between national security and just normal consumer commerce? Right. And, uh, that's, that's where the, that's where the battle will take place. And the past has very been a very blurred line. Was it the, was it the, I think it was a movie having to do with, um, I don't forget the guy's name. He's in Russia. Edward now, Snowden. Snowden, yeah. Or essentially, if they, if you were connected, they essentially like just built these like network trees almost of like, if you were connected to someone who was connected to someone who was connected to the criminal, like they would monitor all of those people's activity down the line so that essentially the NSA was able to justify um surveillance of just about everyone even though they did it in the name of um national security so and then there's never really you can't have a check on it you know you can't have a uh yeah pretty much anybody coming behind and saying why did you do this like this you know or at least not that i know of so it's, yeah. it's definitely very difficult. It's like you pretty much have to either you have to pick a side almost um, in terms of you have to at least you have to let more freedom. You do have to more privacy it. happen that's, yeah, that's exactly right. or you have to just say, no, we're we are a surveillance state and move more in the direction of like the Chinese government where pretty much everything is monitored and they're out in the open about it. Yeah, <clears throat> this is that. That that framing is exactly correct. It is really. It's almost like an ideological thing, like the way that um, this has to. This is the way that this is um, debated in the public sphere, and the way that, like, sorry, even to be more precise, like the way that the solution comes about is is a sort of ideological battle. Um. So. I mean, I think that the, you can you can frame it one of two ways. Like you can frame it like, are we going to be? So let me get. I'm just trying to get to my perspective. I'm just trying to give my opinion here. My mm-hmm. opinion. My opinion is this: like, I'm actually okay with a surveillance state. Uh, isn't that crazy? But, <laughs> but it's a surveillance state that um, always makes the correct decisions, right? It's one that, which to your point, like, how do you, how do you enforce that? Right. Um, you said state and makes all the right decisions, all the correct decisions in the same <laughs> sentence. That seems weird. See, like I, I would, like I would go as far as to argue that the United States has just as much of a surveillance state today as China, potentially more. I would agree with that. Potentially yeah, I would, more. I would agree with that. Um, but you know, which society would you rather live in? Right. Um, because and I do think that this is where it gets sort of like metaphysical. I do think that this ultimately comes down to like moral systems, like the way that we think about morality and 
basically my opinion is what you want is individuals in positions of power that um that that do have surveillance state authority but they have a set of morals that are consistent with my morals is basically the the, the opinion right yeah yeah that makes sense that's it's like, like a... uh, it's like that quote the constitution is uh for only works for people who are like religious or something isn't there like some you know like might be a might be an outdated thomas jefferson quote or something but oh that sounds interesting let me try to find it real quick yeah i mean it's kind of like uh like the perspective i just gave or the opinion i just gave is kind of like um it's almost upsetting to hear because like you you the like comforting thing to hear is that there's a solution like there we're either just gonna have freedom or we're or not right it's like black or white and it's like kind of upsetting that the pragmatic reality is like we're not gonna have the freedom but that doesn't mean that it's necessarily a bad thing yeah okay it was a john adams quote he said quote our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people it is wholly inadequate to the government of any other and then it sounds like James Madison had a similar similar uh, quote. So, yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting because you could. I mean, one of the claims that I hear frequently today is that with like one of the problems with or a claim for like the root problem of a lot of the chaos in the world today is the proliferation of nihilism and and uh, and what is like kind of a cheap explanation but you could describe it as um atheists right like the problem is everybody's atheists mm -hmm. and that's like that claim is not real it's not like it's not a claim that um people should ought to be religious that's not what the claim is the claim is that whenever you like are if you don't if you don't have like a a, a core moral system a core set of beliefs then like there is no there is no sense of direction because you have no foundation to build on like yeah. eventually everything becomes at the root this is like my whole spiel and this is like metaphysical it's cosmological how can you how can you claim it but at the root of every substantive de decision is a moral decision in my opinion mm -hmm. and in the claim of like the nihilism and atheists is that they are not qualified to make those decisions because they have no sense of morality. Yeah. Yeah. The shared, I mean, the shared values piece is very difficult because yeah, nobody really knows anymore. What are the shared values of Americans, which is a large rabbit hole, <laughs> but maybe we'll go down at some point. Well, I, I would claim, I would, I would, I would just point out that um, the, the power of America is the diversity and like right. the fact that we are a melting pot and we have a diverse uh, collective of, of opinions. Um, but still for a long time had, even with all of the diversity, still had a very strong uh, set of core values that we all shared, you know, fair, which fair. nowadays does feel like are cracking. Yeah. Num like um, the number one thing I think of is the american dream right like is the american dream dead is that the problem right like the, uh, the vision of the american dream is like work hard and you can be successful right yeah i think i think there's definitely hesitation on on for for the normal person i think it is it is increasingly difficult um, it is very, very difficult for just, I'll take my own situation. It's very difficult to say, is the American dream dead? Well, the American dream still worked for me, but gosh, I, I have a, a, a ton of support. I've had a ton of support in terms of family, friends, schooling. You know, it is very difficult to say uh, without all of that, am I still in the same position I am today? answer is most likely no you know so but like takes takes so, someone who comes from nothing and 
I just think it's less likely, I guess, nowadays. Yeah, that's like that's my thing is that just to bring us full circle, like one one thing that I think was a was a shared belief across all Americans for a long time, for like the first 200 years, probably call it up until World War II, after World War II, was like you America is where you go to dream and you like if you want to start over, start a new life and like build something new and you don't have to prescribe to the old system you can do something new that seems like a even though we're like a collect collection of diverse people that was a shared belief right yeah yeah and i think not having the shared beliefs um really does essentially bring this idea of privacy to the forefront for a lot of people right I mean, if you think that the people in power do not share your values and it happen, it can happen every four years or whatever, right? Because there can be administrations that move in that are, you know, have ideas that you disagree with wholly. And then, you know, the next four years after that, maybe you're in, you're like, okay, I'm in the clear, right? Um, but things that are happening, I mean, even the, the, uh, the raid that happened on Trump's residence on Monday, you know? starting just starting to go down the path of if you don't share our values potentially we are going to target you and i'm not i'm obviously there's still a lot of information that's coming out about that um but even like whether that's true or not that is in the minds of a lot of americans already right um it's like yeah, a narrative that's, that's already building on the right um and that's an interesting, even go ahead that's an interesting perspective i i think that um yeah the 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 question i would have is like i think i think there's a little bit of a trap for people to be like um things didn't used to be this way like it's like things are changing today and we're in a new world and while i think that that is largely true for a number of reasons primarily driven by technology um i do think that people tend to over use that frame that frame of mind because like so you're saying like um if people don't prescribe to your belief systems we will go after you that's probably always existed in the united states to some degree right to some degree yeah yeah i just think it's like and that's just you know that's just one example but i think that you know institutions have lost respect of all kinds of Americans on all sides of the spectrum um, for for many years now, right? Um, whether it's like the lies that were told to go into the Iraq war or, you know, things that were gotten wrong about COVID. So I think that's another big thing of like privacy concerns is like, well, I just don't trust these people. And, on, and I think a lot of people are coming to like, my view is I don't even really care what letter rd is next to your name as a politician i by default do not trust you and mm. um and there's really at this point it's i don't know i don't see a path there's no path that's like clear in my head of like oh well if they just did x y and z then oh i you know we're singing kumbaya together and i i trust them and believe they have my best interest in, at heart I, I think it's very difficult to come back part of um something i've been thinking about is like part of this what you're describing is like we like the the role of a politician we sort of have this idea in our head of what the role of a politician is and i think the thing that's discomforting to people and i'm probably projecting here to some degree is that the they're almost like an actor up there right like nothing they say can be believed to be authentic um it's like they're just telling lies basically mm -hmm. and um let's just assume that that is a widely held opinion of politicians the thing i've been asking myself recently is this is just me being open-minded what if that's actually the correct way to do it what if that's actually the way that that what if that's the only way to manage a society like this Right. What if there's no other way to do it? What if it's the least worst option? 
is to lie yeah like or just i mean yeah like i think i think you could you could cherry pick certain things for sure that lying to the mass the masses is just for their best interest right um to to you know i'm thinking of a situation of like to pretty much prevent mass hysteria um yes like everyone saw a ufo but the government's like no that wasn't a ufo and everyone's like oh thank god you know that would be crazy <laughs> you know um something like that but i think as a general policy telling the truth always wins in the, at the end you know yeah probably but there's definitely i i could see yeah i could definitely see some some outlier situations but I think, I think nowadays is like you can't tell the truth if you if you tell the truth one like you might get attacked just because the truth is unpopular sometimes um but also it's almost like it well if the other side is lying well i've got to lie too i can't tell the truth if the other side is like let's just take like a an example real life example if the other side is like um social security is never going to run out We'll always have Social Security fully funded, and it's always going to be at this age. But you're on the side of like, well, actually, that's not true. But if I tell the truth and say, like, you know, we need to make Social Security like means tested, we need to raise the retirement age, like, obviously, you're going to lose, you know, electorally, you are not going to win by telling the truth um, for hard issues that affect old Americans like that. You know what I'm saying? And that's just one example. And so, we end up living in a in a world where everyone has to lie, and pretty much whoever is the best liar is the one that is elected. Well, this is an interesting conversation. Another thing that that came to mind as you're speaking is, um, I think it's easy to, whenever we're talking like U.S. politics, it's easy to think that the U.S. is the only place in the world, right? It's like we we kind of forget that in a way whenever we're having these discussions we forget that there's always different national security interests too like um they take the federal reserve as an, as an example the fed is up there blatantly telling lies and we all know it um but arguably they have to do that because if they told the truth, we would have capital outflows into other parts of the world. And I don't actually know this line of thinking is true, but let's just, just to prove a point. Mm -hmm. um, if they were to tell the truth, we'd have capital outflows to other parts of the world. And so like, I think part of the thing I'm thinking like brewing in the back of my head is like, lies are actually useful not for internal purposes, but for external purposes. And, but the problem with it is that in turn, it causes internal chaos because then people feel upset that they've been lied to. So then you have this internal division, but it's like, well, if everybody could just internally wrap their head around the fact that, you know, fine, they're lying, but it's all in our best interests, then like it would be fine. <laughs> but but that would require trust. Sure. You're, if you're assuming that it's in our best interest, then that assumes that you're trusting those people who are lying to you. And if they're lying to you, then you, you know, you inevitably aren't trusting of them. Yeah. I mean, I think that, the, I think what I would say is just to take the, the perspective, I don't know where I fall on this, but um, there, you, you would have to take a leap of faith some at some point. And then like, you have to have some degree of trust just to participate in the game. So like if you want to try and live the American dream, then you, in today's world, you have to leverage just from a purely competitive standpoint, you have to leverage things in the system, which require trust. So you have to, you have to trust the leadership. And, um, even if like internally deep down, you're like, I don't, I don't think so. Like still in order to play the game, you have to, it requires a trust. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think I get what you're saying. Like with, uh, 
I mean, I'm thinking on like a scale of working at a job where you don't like your boss, you you know, your boss is like a piece of shit, but you still like treat him like he's amazing, him or her. Um, just because you're like, well, I got to play this game. I've got to just put on a smile and make it look like I love what I'm doing here so that I can get promoted, get paid a little bit more and then, you know, get the F out of here kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I day. mean, that's, that's, a, that's an acceptable <laughs> strategy, right? Like, <clears throat> and by the way, that's in the best, just to bring it back to our previous point, that's in the best interest of the group too, right? Because under mm-hmm. that scenario, you're not creating internal division. Yeah. Which is, which is better for the external conflicts. Yeah. Yeah. It's just interesting. It, it definitely feels like, um, I don't know. I, truth to me seems like the best strategy generally, but I, I guess we do live in a very, a very complicated world, especially when you're, especially when it feels like the, we've never experienced a world right now, uh, like right now where everybody is looking over their shoulder from a geopolitics standpoint. Um, and pretty much everyone is is on guard and trying to um, make sure that they survive. And so, totally, totally. yeah. I um, Dimitri Kofinas in one of his recent episodes described this. He was like, um, "Are you familiar with the with the end of history? What's it called? The end of history? It's a book. Uh, I just got into a guy named. He has a book called The End of the World." No, the, uh, like that's that's Peter Zihan's book. Um, okay, yeah. End of History is a book by Francis Fukuyama, published in 1992. Okay. And my, my understanding, I haven't read it, but my understanding is um, there was this theory that basically the liberal world had succeeded. And what, what we think of history is like all these different conflicts between East and West. This was written right after the fall of the Soviet Union, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you just keep going back through history, it's continuous conflicts, right? American Revolution, British Empire problems, Roman, all these different conflicts, right? These this idea laid out in this book, The End of History by Francis Fukuyama, is um is that maybe all of that is gone. Maybe we no longer have, maybe we have reached a level of civilization where we are civilized enough to quit killing each other, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, at least like on a massive scale, right? And um, I think that that, so Dimitri Kofinas framed this in a few, uh, at one of his podcasts and he was like, that actually seemed to be true for a few decades. Like it was almost like for from 1990 to, to 2020, maybe like a roughly a three decade span. That's kind of the way the world operated. Yeah. And then he was like, but now suddenly in today's world, it's almost like that, that is like a, some sort of dream that we were living in like it was like it's like a fog in hindsight and that's we've suddenly been snapped back into reality and we we now we now realize that that's not the way the world works there is still conflict and uh it's very very sobering i think it definitely i mean definitely probably felt like that for western countries but i mean i'm sure that there was things that went under the radar um that we just weren't paying attention to and at least, I don't know how long the Uyghur Muslim stuff has been going on, but, you know, just stuff like that where there is evil. But I think the main thing that changed with Russia and maybe even I guess you could point to Afghanistan as like the actual start um, of it last year is that it's like, okay, well, now it's actually these things are affecting the Western world again. Whereas as long as it doesn't affect the Western world, they don't <laughs> they don't really care or talk yeah it's like out of sight out of mind yeah but when you start messing with the oil natural gas um potential terror threats um you know and terror groups swelling up again then the west starts to perk up and it's like oh okay yeah there are issues but then the response is still at least from the united states is still seemingly very uh isolationist very much like well we're not going to get involved kind of thing or at least try to hold out as long as possible. So it's very interesting. It's almost like, yeah, try to work it out yourselves. And obviously, I mean, what we're sitting here in August and we were to, and the invasion happened in like late February, early March, I think. 
So it's pretty crazy that it's still, it's still going on, but yeah, I feel like all we can do as Americans is kind of just sit, sit around and wait. And, uh, but if I was a, if I was a European right now, I, I feel like that's not an option. You'd have to try to, you really want to put pressure on your government to try to figure something out, some kind of negotiation to make it stop so that they could, you know, get energy from Russia again. Right. So they don't freeze this winter. Yeah. I don't know. I have opinions on Europe, but I feel like I would <laughs> upset people if I said things. <laughs> Those are the best opinions. <laughs> I've only got about five more minutes left that I'm that I can do. So, what you what should we wrap up with? I know we I know we did a it was a large tangent. Uh, no, this was this was, was super good. interesting. Yeah, I think yeah. I thought it was interesting that um, the IRS, the whole eighty thousand IRS agents. I thought that was an interesting development. I actually thought that that was aimed a little bit at crypto. I think that that was a little bit aimed. Oh, I think it is for sure. Because basically, the statement was you thought that. This was we you the statement is like you thought that we couldn't hire enough people to to combat all the craziness, but we're hiring eighty thousand people, so we definitely can. It's almost ninety thousand people. It's, the actual number I've heard is eighty seven thousand. It doesn't even fill up, or I'm sorry, there you couldn't fit that many people into the Alabama football stadium. I saw that, and then I just like had this image in my head. Imagine that entire stadium was filled with IRS agents. Gosh. What kind of place would that be? I just picture them like, uh, I picture them like orgs from Lord of the Rings. Orcs. Lord of the Rings. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. No, I'm not looking forward to that. They're just, it's crazy. Cause my understanding too, is they're not just coming after rich Americans. Um, and again, this speak to me, this speaks, this is one more step in the direction of, I don't trust you at all. U.S. government and uh, the fact that they're going to want they want to come after honest small business owners, honest middle class Americans and try to squeeze them even more for tax for taxpayer dollar or tax dollars is is insanity to me. And totally. we're literally we're getting what well, I just don't feel like we get anything for any dollars that we send over. And um, so. Just I have the a, scrutiny and the stress is just is just going to be so annoying for people, I think. I have a radical idea proposal. Um, and I think it's actually somewhat likely in the long term. They call it 50 years from now. Um end all taxes, no more taxes, zero. If you want, if you need government spending, you print the money. That's how it works. No taxes, print the money. <laughs> Isn't that how it already works? Basically, <laughs> yeah. But the problem with the system today is that the rich are capable of evading taxes, and so to your avoiding, point, or yeah, sorry, avoiding, um, and evading. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's the it's the it's the middle and working class that uh, that had, I had mean, well, I, I well, I will say it, it does need to be pointed out that the rich do pay a large share. Um, like I think it, the stat is like the top one percent of earners do cover roughly like twenty seven percent of the taxes, so it is. I mean, it is skewed that way. But the to your the point, one... there are definitely there are loopholes. I mean, even the one that that snuck away from the um, it snuck away from the bill that passed over the weekend, the carried interest they were going to take. So essentially, carried interest is paid out uh, to private equity. And um, it is taxed at more favorable rates, uh, the capital gains rate. So that maximum rate that you'd pay federally on your carried interest would be uh, 20%. They wanted to pretty much scrap that loophole because not, my understanding is it's not actually a capital gain uh, that's just treated that way for tax purposes. So they were going to pretty much scrap that and make it so that that income was taxed as ordinary income at, at the top rates of 37%. They could have done that and they could have done that instead of hiring all these, they could have done that and just like done maybe like a quarter of the funding for the IRS. Cause the IRS is underfunded. There is no mm. doubt about that. Gotcha. But they've swung too far now, right. I think. 
Right. Um, and I think people, it's going to piss people off. I think electorally, it's, they are going to come back to regret uh, beefing up the IRS this much all at once. My question um, is like, is there even 80,000 people to fill the roles? No. Like, how many can no they actually, how, can, they, can they do 20,000? Like, even that seems like a lot. I feel like, yeah, it's going to be a shit show because I agree with you. I think that they're going to have a lot of trouble finding people. Therefore, they're going to end up taking any schmuck that walks in there and says, I want to work here. And <laughs> it's going to be like Dumb and Dumber, bro, sitting at the table <laughs> where they're like, we're all right, we're going to do this audit. And they're like, you know, they're pretty much like Paul Blart over here, <laughs> have no idea what they're doing, but feel like they have all the authority in the world. It is not going to be good. I'm not excited about that at all. Wow. Okay. And it'll be like. How long have you been an IRS uh, auditor? And I'd be like, this is uh, week one. <laughs> I was flipping oh. burgers last week. <laughs> this is an amazing perspective. I love I love that you that you come to the table with this. <laughs> Bring it on, IRS agents. Bring it on. All right. Okay. I'm going to jump off of here. Yep. But good episode. We'll keep chatting. Um, got a... I've got a good lunch next week in DC. I'm not going to reveal with whom quite yet, but uh, we'll have I'll have some good news. And next week I'll be out of uh, I'll be recording out of Reykjavik, Iceland. Oh wow! Yeah. So yeah, the next the next um, several weeks will be I'll be in exotic places. So nice. Maybe we'll have to we'll have to fly you out to Europe and do a live. Oh yeah. Live Europe recording. Who's gonna who's gonna cover the bill? You're gonna cover the bill. We'll print the money. We'll print the money. Okay. <laughs> All right, dude. Well, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks so okay. much for watching or so so much for listening, everyone. Talk to you guys soon as well.